This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Since 2006, the release of Al Gore's documentary, An Inconvenient Truth, hundreds of billions of dollars have been spent to address global warming. A generation of school children have been required to watch the movie, and a huge worldwide political movement has been built demanding that we abolish fossil fuels in order to avoid climate change. We've been told that all of this is settled science and it's been demanded that we must act now in order to avoid catastrophe. Our guest today is Gregory Wrightstone, that's spelled W-R-I-G-H-T Stone, who's authored a new counterpoint to Gore and the Climate Alarmists titled Inconvenient Facts. You can find the book on Amazon in print or for Kindle or directly at his website at inconvenientfacts.com. XYZ. It's an unusual extension there. Gregory Wrightstone, thank you for joining us on Right Now. Yeah, thank you for having me on. There's a lot going on in the climate change world, I tell you. Seems like there's two or three new things every day, and they're all somewhat bad. Well, I'll let you get into that, but uh, before we start, what qualifies you to rebut an eminent earth scientist like Al Gore? After all, Al Gore. Invented the Internet. Did you invent the Internet? I did not. Um, you might, your, your listeners be, would be interested to know that Al Gore only had one science class in college. It was called natural science, and he got a D in it. Uh, I'm, a ge- <laughs> Why I'm, am a, I'm a geologist. I'm a geologist, and I've got, oh, go on, 40 years. It makes me sound old. I guess I am old. 40 years of experience uh, looking at various aspects of the Earth's processes and and I've, I've walked away really from a consult, successful consulting career because I got, I didn't set out to write a book. I, I, I set out to seek the truth because as a geologist, I knew that some of what we were being told was just wrong. And I suspected other things were, but like you know, I'm sure you're the same way. We hear all this conflicting information. It's hard to sort out what's true and what's not true. So this led me into an exploration going back to the base data. I said at the beginning, I said, I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm going to go back and look at the data and see what the data tells me. And well, as I dove into this, it just, it, what I found was shocking. I mean, just we're, what we're being told about most of what we're hearing about climate change is the actual science, the facts, and the data are, are 180 degrees opposite of what we're being told. Well, my skepticism was originally peaked uh, back when they showed uh, the movie to my daughters who were in uh, grammar school at the time, elementary school. And uh, and they came home quite upset that, uh, you know, the world was coming to an end. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, and then I, I started looking into it myself. And uh, I noticed that uh, all of these scientists were insisting that this uh, subject was no longer open for debate. And knowing, you know, the history of... Uh, uh, science uh, that you know at one time believed in flat earth and and bleeding patients to solve um, infections and threw Galileo in uh, in prison for uh, claiming that the earth was not the center of the universe uh, you know I, I I was skeptical from the beginning yeah, and, and that's exactly that's exactly what drew me into this and it was this search for the truth that and I'll tell you what did and we'll get into that in a little bit but it was really when I, I started seeing all these things that were just not so. And it was when I got into forest fires and drought, researching that, that I just I realized that we're, we're being sold a bill of goods and we're being told lies. And I, you know, 
you know, that goes into the politics of it. And I like to stay to the science. I can, uh, and all of your listeners are just as qualified as I am, even though I've written a book, they're all just as qualified to offer their opinion as to why it's being done. But what I can do is offer the science and the facts in an understandable way uh, for your listeners so they can understand what's going on and see just how wrong the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and Al Gore and Dr. Michael Mann at Penn State are. Uh, so it's it's fascinating. I've turned into a climate geek, and uh, but it's I sometimes feel like an old-time evangelist spreading the good news of the gospel of of a of a warming earth and rising and increasing CO2 because I, I look at this and I see many many benefits. You know, and it's you not even close. You mentioned back there um, the forest fires, and I'm a retired firefighter myself. And I could have told you thank that. You for your uh, service. Well, thank you for uh, for paying my salary for 30 years. Uh, but um, you know, I I could look at the situation in California where they had stopped uh, managing forests and they were allowing. Uh, tons of duff to accumulate on the forest uh, floor and they were building right up into the wildlife interface and knew that was a recipe for disaster and that like many other things are being cited as proof of uh you know uh, global warming yeah what's what's fat this is fascinating in that we're told absolutely point blank and there's no discussion they state flatly that forest fires are increasing and it's because of global warming the last national climate assessment was released at the end of November of last year. Uh, it prominently featured wildfires and forest fires as uh, on the front page, on the front cover of the summary, the back page of the, of the summary. And again, in that, the national climate assessment, they stated flatly that forest fires were increasing because of climate change and they were going to increase in the future. They, they included one chart. All it was labeled, they didn't provide a source for it. Uh, and and it showed an increase in area burned. And I looked at that, and I looked, I found the entire chart. Here they cherry-picked 30 years of data, which, yes, area burned has slightly increased over the last 30 years, but we'll get into that. That's that's forest management, like you say. They cherry-picked the data. The data went back to 1926. If you look at the full data set, we have 20 percent as much area burned today as what we did 80 years ago and and it's this manipulation and there were smaller fires back then because they were um it it was healthy to allow uh, you know the the smaller burns and to to put them out uh, until they get to be you know huge conflagrations right what we see is we we see globally across north america across the united states and in california fire the number of fires are declining and it's a pretty significant decline. And even in California, the number of fires, and this is according to CAL FIRE data, uh, the number of fires in California has decreased by about 50% over the last 30 years, which shocked me, frankly, because I thought everybody would think. But, but the, the thing is, area burned has increased, which means each, each fire necessarily is twice as big as they used to be and probably a lot more intense. You know what always struck me uh, about that whole debate was uh, the reason that they've stopped being able to manage the forests out west is because of the uh, spotted owl and other protected species. Yep. And yet the same people that are, uh, you know, uh, the radical environmentalists uh, stopping management and logging in the forests are the ones that argue for uh, wind turbines spread throughout the, the nation that are uh, killing Millions of birds. Yeah, yeah. And it's, well, it's interesting. Of course, the biggest bird killer, of course, is we always hear this in the argument, oh, it's cats. You know, uh, outdoor cats kill, you know, 20 times as many. And that's true, but there are things like wrens and, and, and you know, little birds. Mm-hmm. If you've got a cat that can bring down a golden eagle, you know, I don't think I want that cat in in the same room with me. I've got some uh, in my those backyard. Those are the kinds. <laughs> Golden eagles? No, no, uh, wildcats. Wildcats, okay. Yeah. But just regular domesticated cats. Um, right. It's it's the big birds of prey, and the the, uh, the falcons, the hawks, the the uh, the eagles that are being killed. You uh, mentioned not, not good. I was going to say you mentioned Dr. Michael Mann of Penn State University back there, mm-hmm. who is the you know one of the major evangelists for uh, climate change. I've got a clip here. 
of uh, Dr. Mann on with Bill Maher saying that uh, you and I shouldn't be allowed to talk about this. It is super, super settled science, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, The the National Academy of Sciences was founded, people forget this, by a a Republican president, uh, Abraham Lincoln. And they've said, look, climate change is real. It's caused by human activity. It's already a problem. It's going to be a much worse problem if we don't do something. There's still time to do something about it. But, you know, there was a Pew poll recently which revealed that uh, they asked people, they named 23 different topics that they could say are the most important thing we should do, address. Climate change came in 22nd. 23rd was getting cat hair off black pants. So I think um, I think Bill Maher uh, disapproves of, uh, of your uh, writing this book and, and questioning the so-called settled science. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Dr. Michael Mann is probably one of the preeminent climate alarmists out there. He, he came up with what was called the hockey stick, and the hockey stick used... Uh, very, very, what's beyond questionable data. It was data that should not have been used to create this thousand-year decline of temperatures leading up to the 20th century. And then the, the this, that was the shaft of the stick, and then the blade was this huge increase in temperatures in the 20th century corresponding to increasing CO2. That wiped out uh, what we call the medieval warm period, a time of that was much warmer than today. It wiped out what we call the Little Ice Age, a horrifically cold period where uh, we had mass depopulation. When you say wiped it out, you mean it doesn't reflect it? Yes, it does not reflect it. Uh, He used tree ring data from bristlecone pines predominantly, and the authors of the study that he used specifically warned, don't use this data and don't use our study for temperature because the tree rings are affected not only by temperature but by uh, precipitation, and by changes in CO2. As CO2 increases, the tree rings get bigger because of what we call CO2 fertilization effect with you know, fueling plant growth with higher CO2 levels. Um, one of the things when Scott Pruitt was EPA chief, what he said was, uh, how arrogant is it of us to think we know what the, what the ideal temperature for the planet is? And Dr. Michael Mann responded, well, of course we know what the with the ideal temperature. It was the temperature before we started adding CO2. Well, that temperature would put us smack dab in the middle of the horrific Little Ice Age. Half the population of Iceland perished. It's thought that a third of the entire population of the Earth perished. And it was because of of, uh, failing crops, uh, famine, pestilence, uh, which led to mass depopulation. These cold periods are, are, have been consistently horrific for both the Earth's ecosystems and for humanity. Just the opposite of what we're being told. We're being told that, oh, be careful, it's going to get warmer, and we're all going to die, and crops are going to fail. Where historically, if we look over the last 4,500 years of of human history, we know that during these warm periods, both the Earth and humanity flourished. Before we politicized the study of climate, those warm periods... They go by the name of the Minoan Warm Period, the Roman Warm Period, the Medieval Warm Period, not current one. Each each of those uh, periods, those warm periods, were called climate optima up until it became politicized. And they were called climate optima for uh, many reasons because, again, humanity flourished and so did the Earth. Uh, I want to ask you. Things happen when it gets cold. I want to ask you a couple questions. One, uh, wasn't one of those uh, uh, really dramatic hockey stick graphs also based on uh, uh, faked uh, research out of uh, England? And the, um, the second question is, um, are, are the scientists manipulating their data by looking at a, a, a subset of time that is far too short to really make, to draw any conclusions from? Yeah, and that's why I, I just spoke last week to the Ohio Geological Society. Uh, we had maybe 45 people in the room. And you know what? Each person, every, we had a 100% consensus. We've heard of a consensus. There was a 100% consensus in that room. Everybody agreed with me. Because we as geologists looked at this long-term period of time, much longer we know that 100 years of data isn't long enough to put this in perspective. You need this longer geologic perspective to see that Dr. Michael Mann, 
uh, and Al Gore and their ilk, what they need your listeners to believe is that the temperatures that we're currently seeing and which are predicted are unusual. These are the two words they use, unusual and unprecedented, that this has never happened before. And if indeed the temperatures we see today are unusual and unprecedented, then you know they probably have a pretty good case that uh, the warming is man-made and that you know, we better be careful. Uh, but what we see is that's just not the case. If we look, uh, I, I think it's important to look at um, the 10,000 years of data since the end of the last ice age, where it's called an interglacial period. Um, and that's the period we should look at with, with temperature changes. And we see that the warming trend we're in look, right now looks very similar to nine other warming trends during the, that last during that last 10,000 years of Earth's history. And you say those were, uh, uh, those were periods of prosperity and growth for the populations. Well, we know the, the most recent were because, I mean, if you get earlier than 4,500 years, you're really, you're going back to the, the very earliest uh, Mediterranean cultures. Uh, it's hard to, which is, you know, just whenever we started with, with writing and capturing history. Uh, so we don't know much about those other uh, warm periods earlier. We know that the last three uh, were very, very beneficial, and but... The point here is that the, the nine warming trends look very similar to where we are today. All of them ended up much warmer than what we are today. Five of the nine had higher rates of warming. So what we see is that our current warming, and we've been in a warming trend. It's been kind of relatively flat for 20 years or so now, but uh, I, I personally believe we're going to go back into a, into a warming phase that will last for another um, who knows how long? Maybe eight or eighty or one hundred or one hundred fifty years. Well, I want to follow. I want to follow up on that when we come back for a break. But in the interest of equal sure. time, I want to uh, take us out with a, a, a statement from President, none other than President Obama, during one of his State of the Union addresses uh, to Congress. But we have to act with more urgency because the changing climate is already harming Western communities struggling with drought and coastal cities dealing with floods. That's why I directed my administration to work with states, utilities, and others to set new standards on the amount of carbon pollution our power plants are allowed to dump into the air. The shift, the shift to a cleaner energy economy won't happen overnight, and it will require some tough choices along the way. But the debate is settled. Climate change is a fact. And when our children's children look us in the eye and ask if we did all we could to leave them a safer, more stable world with new sources of energy, I want us to be able to say, yes, we did. Si se puede. We're going to run out to a break. We'll be back in one minute. Stick with us on Right Now. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. And you're back with Right Now. We're joined by Gregory Wrightstone, the author of the new book, Inconvenient Truth. It's a counterpoint to Al Gore's 2006 documentary in which he, uh, he looks at some of the inconvenient facts that um, Al Gore and others um, would prefer that you not take notice of. 
Uh, Gregory, before we went out to the break, you were uh, mentioning some of the um, the previous warming periods in uh, in Earth's history, and um, and I wanted to ask you. You know, I've I've heard recently that there's been a um, a historic uh, set of sunspot activities that uh, closely mirror the last time we had a a, a cold spell. Uh, I think that was back in the 17th century, uh, and and some climate or some astrologers and uh, climate scientists are now starting to say we may be on the cusp of uh, another cold uh, period. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I've I've seen a lot of that. I've looked at it closely. Uh, these are scientists that I respect, and and they're they're. Uh, the prognostications are based on what, what what appears to be sound science. Uh, and what you're talking about is solar activity declining, and we're we're going into what's called the the grand solar minimum coming up. And uh, it would be relatively similar, perhaps, hopefully not like it, but it was called the Maunder minimum back uh, that was in the late 17th century, late the late 1600s, uh, which was horrific. It was it was part of the the worst coldest part of the Little Ice Age. And uh, these these scientists are predicting that we're uh, within the next year or two might be getting there close to it now that we're going we're going to go into a thirty year or more uh, cooling trend. Um, I I tend as a geologist to look at what's happened before. In, in geology, one of the first things we we learn is what's called the theory of uniformitarianism. Now, in other words, the process is going on today have occurred throughout Earth's history. So we look, we go out and we look at riverbeds and how stuff are being deposited. And then we go back and look at the rock data and say, oh, this looks like rocks that were formed in a riverbed. In the climate science, we turn it on its head that we should use the 600 million plus years of Earth as a laboratory with differing temperatures and CO2 levels uh, to predict what might go on in the future. So I look at What's happened, particularly over the last 10,000 years, and I look at those warming trends, and I see that each each one of them ended up warmer than what we are today, and each of them lasted longer uh, than what we've been in. So I, I tend to go with what's happened before is most likely going to happen again, although I'll admit I, I don't know. Um, one of my favorite quotes, and I have it in the book, is from Yogi Berra. He said, making predictions is really tough especially about the future <laughs> and so, uh, you know over till it's over you know it, it occurs to me that uh, a lot of these are just natural cycles much like the the season spring you know summer fall follows spring winter mm-hmm. follows fall and uh it kind of seems pretty arrogant uh for humans to think one that they could make a huge difference uh in the the climate of the earth and uh and two uh just impossible you know even if we were causing it uh, the the negative effects of uh getting off of fossil fuels would be far more devastating uh than than actual uh warming oh, oh you're right with aoc and her her proposal to end everything in 12 years and fossil fuel use how the heck is she going to get the food to the from the market to the or from the farm to the market mule trains millions of people would carts? freeze millions of people would freeze to death or if they didn't starve first, <laughs> you know, take your pick. So, <laughs> you know, what, what do you want? I don't know. I've heard freezing's not so bad, you know. So they're but, talking about a, a dramatic increase in CO two. You know, I know from uh, just uh, basic high school science that um, about uh, what eight ninety percent or ninety one percent of air is made up of uh, nitrogen and oxygen and one percent of other gases. I don't. I don't know what percentage of that one percent is CO two, and you know what, what percentage of it is uh, is uh, helium and and these other trace uh, gases. But how in the world could such a uh, increase of a small percentage of uh, of the net have this dramatic effect on on uh, yeah. the climate? Yeah, there's it. I'm I'm not going to go and say it doesn't. I'll tell you where I come from. I agree that CO2 is increasing. 
Uh, it's a little over 400 parts per million right now, which is 0.04% of the atmosphere. It's a trace gas, it is. But it's an important gas that we, 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 we would not, there would be no life as we know it uh, on Earth. Because the plants it. would die. Right. Plants, plants need 150 parts per million is the minimum threshold. Uh, again, we're, we're, we're a little bit over 400 parts per million. And we've increased it by 120 parts per million since the Industrial Revolution. So we were at 280, we're at 400 now. Um, so that's about a 40% increase. But um, uh, what, we, what we have to understand here, too, though, is that, 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 that this increase, although it's, it sounds like a lot, if we put it in a long-term perspective, uh, the average CO2 level on Earth, again, we're at 400, the average CO2 level on Earth dating back to the Precambrian, was 2,600 parts per million. So that's six and a half times what we are wow. today. So and tell me, has there been an exact correlation between uh, Earth's temperature and, uh, and levels of CO2? Um, the answer is yes and no. And we, we see throughout the big picture of Earth, we've seen times when CO2 levels were, well, before, let me jump back. Throughout Earth's history, we're usually, we vary between really warm, which are called hothouse events, and really cold, which are called ice house events. And we've seen high levels, very high levels of CO2 of 5,000, 6,000 parts per million, uh, which are 10 to 15 times what we have right now, and we were in ice house conditions. We've seen times when we had very low CO2, not quite as low as we are today, and we were in hothouse, very hot conditions. Um, so if we look during the, this period of ice ages that we're in, say look over the last 800,000 years of these 100,000-year ice age cycles, what we find is the ice, the temperature drops first, and then CO2 changes. It's not CO2 driving temperature during these ice ages and, and warming periods. The temperature drives the CO2, and the reason for this, it sounds counterintuitive, because usually you think, oh, the warmer liquids could dissolve more sugar or salt, right? That's, that's what you kind of think of, but with CO2, it's exactly opposite. The colder oceans, the oceans are really the big drivers of CO2. Colder oceans suck up CO2. Just think about um, if you have a liter jar of ginger ale and you have it in your refrigerator, you open it up and it just goes, right? You put that out in August on your patio in the sun and now open it up. It's a volcano, and that's the volcano This it just erupts, right? And that's the CO2 being vented and degassed out of that, that ginger ale. And it's the same thing we see with the ocean. So as ocean... So you're saying that uh, the, the correlation is not necessarily causation uh that co2 is not necessarily driving temperature but temperature can be driving co2 oh absolutely positively no doubt but the alarmists will tell you oh well that's all they they go well yeah but that's that's a red herring you're you're uh, uh what we've seen here is this huge increase in co2 that has changed everything and um that's what they say they they admit that yes Historically, for the last 800,000 plus years, temperature has driven the CO2 changes. That's just without question. And uh, but they say, well, but everything's changed now because we've added so much CO2, and now now all of this it's completely changed, and there are new forces at work that are doing different things. And uh, you can't win with these guys. Uh, so the the big thing, the big takeaway, probably the scariest chart in the book is. 140 million year decline of carbon dioxide. It's almost in a straight line down to from 2,500 parts per million 140 million years ago to to actually got to the lowest level uh, since the Precambrian at 172 parts per moment. Remember, remember we said 150 yes, was the line of death, and then four. Yeah, we four. nearly we nearly got there at the end of the last ice age. The lowest CO2 levels since the Precambrian time, 600 million years ago. And that, that would be a true climate apocalypse if plant life can't survive. Well, you know, I and remember we uh, back um, in the early 70s, the, the alarmist, climate alarmists back then were saying that we were going into another ice age. I can't remember the name of the book, but it was basically saying that the sun was going to be 
uh, yeah, that's, that's blacked when I out. Well, that, that's when I was graduate. That's when I graduated. Uh, Do you remember the name of that book? Masters. Well, it wasn't. There were a number of studies, and it was. Oh. And, and it was there was a very reason. popular book. It was on the front of Science Magazine, and uh, it was. Uh, yeah. it, it was heralded. It's very from, similar to what Al Gore has heralded: the inconvenient <laughs> truth. Um, and and they scared the bejesus out of people. People believed, you know, we were about to all uh, go into another ice age. Well, but see, we were at that time. We started adding CO two in earnest uh, through the burning of fossil fuels after World War II, in that mid twentieth century, late forty, mid forties, um, late forties, and from nineteen forty four to nineteen seventy eight, we'd gone through a thirty three year decline in temperatures. So we're, we're there in the late 1970s. Temperature has been dropping for over 30 years. You know, put yourself back in that position. Uh, what would you think? Yeah, we might be going into another uh, ice age or mini ice age. Um, and then we got into a warming period that lasted until 1998. And we've had fairly stable temperatures since then. Um, so that's, uh, you know, it's, it's but again, it's, it's the cold periods that have been historically been been horrific so let's do a bit of a lightning round here uh Mm -hmm. um, gregory's book contains 60 uh, particular inconvenient facts that al gore uh, doesn't address in his uh his uh, documentary um one of those is uh, inconvenient fact number uh 22 earth's orbit and tilt drive glacial and interglacial changes Uh, much has been made of the the melting glaciers and how the polar bears are all going to drown and uh, and Florida is going to be swallowed by the ocean. Yeah, these are called, there are three, three cycles. They're called the Milankovitch cycles, um, named after uh, the fellow that, that figured it out. And these, these are driving the periodicity of the, of the, of the ice ages. And there's, uh, uh, it's, again, it's the eccentricity of the Earth's orbit. There's... Um, uh, uh, the the angle, kind of the wobble of the Earth. Uh, it's called the precession of the equinoxes. These things all cause big changes. Um, they don't appear to cause the the. When I'm gonna say little, when, when we're talking about thousands of years, it's little for a geologist. But uh, it's it's that if we look over the last ten thousand years, I don't think that these the warming and cooling trends that we're seeing. Uh, I think they're more related to actually solar activity, like we talked about before. Um, and uh, and you mentioned my book. There's I've got a lot of great data at my website, which is inconvenientfacts.xyz. Uh, we had a and still do. We've got an app that we released three weeks ago uh, that was hugely popular. I was I traveled to Dallas and talked to uh, uh, met with the Glenn Beck. And in his Mercury Studios, and we rolled out the app at that point. So we've had more than 13,000 downloads uh, of the app. Very, very, very powerful tool. It puts this information in the palm of your hands. And well, when Al Gore came out with the Inconvenience Truth, he said that uh, by this time, I think actually uh, two years ago, that the uh, polar, the North Polar ice cap would uh, would be entirely melted in in the summer months. Um, that doesn't appear to be the case. As a matter of fact, uh, I saw some of the climate um, uh, studies uh, ex- expeditions that were going up there to document it got stuck in the ice and and <laughs> and couldn't uh, couldn't make it. Yeah, there have been quite a few of those. I, I document some in the book. Uh, in 2005, the UN predicted that there would be 50 million climate refugees, and they they provided a handy map showing the most at-risk islands. Uh, in the book, I capture what the population, the census data was from, 19, from two, at 2010 when they said it was going to be 50 million climate refugees. The, each one of those at-risk islands had greatly increased its population. People were moving to the islands instead of fleeing from them. And, and then in 2015, the, the same UN uh, committee issued the same report that there, by 2020 that there will be 50 million climate refugees. I, I don't I don't think they're going to make it on that one either. Well, so you're in lots con- of failed projections. Your inconvenient fact number fifty-nine: melting northern polar ice cap would not increase sea level. How does that work? Well, yeah, that's a little-known fact, and it's a, it is a true, it is a fact, fact, fact. 
Um, it's ice floating on the ocean. So just think about the uh, the Titanic, where most of that iceberg, uh, just like the iceberg that sunk the Titanic, most of the northern polar ice is is under the water. So it's already in the as water. It melts, displacing water. It, yeah, it's displacing the water. So as it melts, you can do that experiment at home with sure. uh, ice in a in a big jar. Just mark the you can melt the ice as long as the ice isn't resting on the bottom of the jar you're doing. Um, it's it's land-based ice. Uh, that would be glaciers, Antarctica, and Greenland provide uh, the biggest amount of that. So I've got a yeah. clip here. This is a, a town hall on CNN uh, that uh, had a, hosted Al Gore to uh, travel to Virginia <laughs> and uh, talk about uh, the, the rising uh, seas there and how it was going to swamp a little island out in the Chesapeake Bay uh, called Tangiers, when um, inconveniently, the mayor of Tangiers, his name is uh, um, Eskridge, stood up and had this to say to uh, to the former vice president. President Gore, uh, Mr. Cooper, uh, I'm a commercial crabber, and I've been working in the Chesapeake Bay for 50-plus years, and I have a crab house uh, business out on the water, and the water level is the same as it was when the place was built in 1970. Uh, I'm not a scientist, but I'm a keen observer. And um, if sea level rise is occurring, why am I not seeing signs of it? I mean, we're, our island is disappearing, but it's because of erosion and not sea level rise. And then, unless we get a seawall, we lose, we will lose our island. But back to the question, why, why am I not seeing signs of the sea level rise? What do you think the erosion is due to, uh, Mayor? Uh, wave action, storms. Have, have, has that increased uh, any? Um, not really. I well, mean, so so, it, the, so you're losing the island even though the waves and haven't increased. Yes, this this erosion has been going on since uh, Captain John Smith discovered the island and named it. Yeah, and it's, well, it's gotten to our doorstep now, and we focus on it more. Well, arguments about science aren't necessarily going to be of any comfort to you, and I'm sorry for what you're going through. <laughs> arguments about science, you know. That if he's got a crab shack out on the water, that they've got the mm-hmm. the uh, uh, the piers marked. Attention. They've got the piers yeah. marked from you know for uh, high tides and low tides. He would he would certainly know if the uh, sea level in the Chesapeake Bay was rising. But the Al Gore is going to just uh, blow him off and say, "Well, science is no comfort to you." Right, right. Yeah, we see this a lot. There's a lot that goes into sea level rise. Um, if we look at you need to use what are called tide gauges. For That's the only long-term data that we have out there. Uh, the satellite data has been hard to match up with the tide gauge because the accuracy of the satellite data is the error bar in the calculation of, the, of this minute, we're talking millimeters of rise, and it, we're, the satellites just aren't accurate enough. Accurate enough. They've only, the first satellite went up to measure this in 1979. So it's a very, very short-term data. But the long-term tide gauges show that as we exited, sea level dropped a little bit during the Little Ice Age because it was cooling and the glaciers advanced. And then we had the warming that started in the late uh, 17th century, and that's going on in fits and starts to today. Well, the, the glaciers started retreating in the early 1800s, and by... 1850 or so, the rate of retreat of glaciers are about the same as they are today. And we see also that sea level, using tide gauges, again corresponded to that retreat of glaciers in the early 1800s and by around mid-1800s, the sea level rise uh, started, and it's about the same rate uh, as it was back at 1850 today. So sea levels are a function of natural cycles as well, is what you're saying? Oh, Absolutely. It's it's directly related to to the temperature and and the retreat of the glaciers as they're driving sea level. Uh, as these, but we know that these glaciers. My wife and I went up to the Mendenhall Glacier in Alaska, and there you can you can look as the glacier's been retreating. It's been exposing uh, full grown tree stumps that were you know shaved off by the glaciers uh, that were are now being exposed. So think about it. This was from the medieval warm period. So during that time, we had mature forests growing where the glacier is today. 
uh, archaeologists now, there was just an article out last week about this treasure trove of, of archaeological data that they're finding uh, as the glaciers retreat because there were homes and villages and you know, farms that were covered up by advancing glaciers. Well, what's that tell you? They in a, That was in prior to the Industrial Revolu- Revolution now, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. This would have been the medieval <laughs> medieval warm period. Uh, oh, it was probably know, the cow flatulence. That might be it, yeah, or <laughs> oxen flatulence. AOC is going to handle that for us. No, I don't think so. On the show no, prep, you mentioned something about a, a a breaking story. I think you said Newsmax magazine. Fill us in on that. Yeah, you can Google Whitestone, my name, and Newsmax. Uh, again, I, I we launched this app three weeks ago. We've had 13,000 downloads. Apple removed it from the App Store. It's unavailable now. Uh, if you have an iPhone, you can't get my app. It was such a powerful tool. That way... If you were at Easter dinner and your idiot nephew that's majoring in sustainable development from Texas A&M tells you that polar bears are going extinct, you could call it up on your phone and go, oh, here's fact number 52. Here's 60 years of polar bear population, uh, Jimmy. And it shows that they're increasing. Well, let's not pick on Jimmy, but, you know, that that sounds Apple removing your app, uh, like the it's very censorship. definition of Orwellian censorship, that certainly could not be or construed or, or in any possible way to be hate speech. Yeah, no. There's once your app is approved, it's it's virtually unheard of for them to remove it. They want to make sure the functionality is right that you know that, that it's it's not going to crash on people. They and one, but once it's approved and up for sale, uh, it's it's only a rare case by somebody like they took down Infowars, Alex Jones's. Uh, I don't know if they should have or not, but they did. I'm no Alex Jones. Uh, they took down, you know, their offensive pornography links. Uh, but this was this is something. But guess which 70 year old former vice president of the United States sits on the board of directors of Apple? The hypocrisy of these people is just stunning, and the fact that they would actually stifle debate on a an issue that they say yeah. is so they're, desperate that we've got to eliminate fossil fuels is is Orwellian's only word really explain it. It is. It's it's they're doing it because they can. Uh, we have no recourse. We appealed it, um, and they came back. Our, they said our our decision is final. Uh, they said that the it didn't offer compelling content. Really. If you would see the, if, if you have an iPhone and go to the App Store, just see what kind of, uh, of just, compelling content is offered by the pro alarmist uh, apps that are available. These things look like failed eighth grade science fair projects, and I mean they're just awful. We're um, in a terrible spot when the uh, dissemination of information is in the con- controlled by, um, you know, a handful of ideological leftists that well, uh, insist need- that we agree with them. They need to shut me up. They need. That's what they want to do, because the science is settled. That's what the thing. That's what the, the word is. The science is settled. There is no debate. We cannot have. We can't. We can brook no debate because the science is settled. I spoke out in York, Pennsylvania, uh, to a group. There was a professor that was there. He just hates me. And I and I, I got his email. I I offered to speak to his class, and then I said, "Just tear me apart. Yeah, Tell me how chance. I'm wrong." Yeah, and he said. No. He says, I don't want my students exposed to this kind of science. It, it wasn't that I was wrong. It he, was that... He didn't want didn't his, mean, his students exposed to a, uh, a differing, dissenting opinion. That's unbelievable. Right. And what we've got right now is Apple silencing science. This is, this is what fascism looks like in 2019. Can I tell you what this century. is all about? I've got a clip here that perfectly illustrates yep. it. It's, uh, it's that... Uh, that huge, uh, respected climate Scientologist Bill Nye, who's who's none of those, um, talking about why climate deniers are a problem. And your your neighbors on uh, Tangier. I'm going to get this right before this is over with. Stand by. Thirteen of the last sixteen years have been the warmest years on record, and that's not a coincidence. The amount of carbon dioxide in the air in 1750 was 250 parts per million. Now it's over 400 parts per million, and the world's getting warmer. I mean, the big thing about that deniers insist is that there are natural cycles uh, in the world's climate, and that's true. But it's the rate at which we're adding carbon dioxide and methane to the atmosphere has never been there before. It's never been this much this fast. 
Now, notice that none of the deniers had any uh, visibility or nobody noticed them at the summit in Paris. That's because they were locked outside and weren't, weren't allowed uh, in, into the room to make their case. Exactly. Because they, they're losing ground. There's not as many of them there used to be. And my claim is uh, that 2016 is a huge turning point. If this election, presidential election in the United States, here on Earth, goes to a, a president who denies climate change, then the world's in for a lot of trouble. If, on the other hand, it goes to a president who is concerned about climate change and gets to work on it and applies resources to it, then we could uh, preserve the quality of life for a great many people. And so when it comes to deniers, I claim they're a problem. And there it is. It's a political agenda. They're using this to drive politics, and uh, they're, they're just saying it outright. If you don't elect us, then the world's going to come to an end. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, uh, and, you know, the problem is with some of these, there's a kernel of truth, we have to admit, in what he said, because, again, we've been in a 300-year warming trend, so necessarily the most recent date, and they say, oh, it's the warmest on record, the problem is the record goes back to 1850, is what they're referring. And yeah, we're warmer today than we were in 1850. But if you Thankfully, go back another 300 years, it wipes out all of their claims. Correct. It's what's your record? How long does your record go? Um, if you're if you're cherry picking the last 150 years, uh, 2015, 2016 were very warm uh, uh, warm temperature years due to a what NOAA calls the biggest El Nino event, which is a Pacific Ocean event uh, in history. And, of course, their history goes back to 1850. Um, so this El Nino drove those that, that uh, warming in 2015 and 2016. It, it's dropped by over half a degree centigrade since since 2016, he referenced. Uh, and I guess he lost, you know, with he's talking about the 2016 election being so important. Uh, thankfully, Donald Trump was, uh, for America, Donald Trump was elected when we talk about climate because he got us out of this painful Paris Climate Accord. He had the, he had the strength and the courage to do that. Which really was just got, uh, a wave of transferring wealth uh, from richer nations to poorer nations, a continuation oh, oh, of the socialist, uh, you know, the international socialist uh, agenda. Yeah, I opened my book up with a quote from H.L. Mencken in which he says that um, – he talks about the need for governments and institutions to create imaginary, what he called hobgoblins of alarm, uh, with which to frighten the population. And that way, if you frighten the population enough, they'll gladly accept otherwise painful and onerous regulations like carbon tax, the Green New Deal, the, uh, Paris climate. Why, why in the world? Why in the world would we accept the Paris Climate Accord, an economically crippling? Uh, regulations and taxes on America and our economy. Why, why would we do it? The only reason we would do it is if we're on the edge of this climate apocalypse and by st- stopping, uh, if we didn't stop CO2, then we were going to plunge in one calamity and catastrophe, catastrophe after another. Uh, I just don't see it happening. I, well, look, you know, I look at what's actually happening. I see an earth that's benefiting, prospering, and thriving. I'm old enough to remember when, the, you know, prior to this uh, uh, global warming scare, that the uh, the environmentalists had all of the same exact prescriptions for how we're going to stop pollution and keep from degrade, uh, degrading our environment any further. Uh, and then they just <laughs> morphed into the climate um uh, science and it, it's all a continuation of sort of a um, a hidden socialist, uh, I would say, Marxist agenda. Yeah, yeah. But I got to wrap this yeah. up. It, I do want to end on this. It does seem like there's uh, cracks in the wall of of uh, this this regime that insists you not question it. I saw a recent survey uh, that said only about thirty five percent of geoscientists and engineers believe that humans are creating the global warming crisis and uh, and uh, and even then they believe that there was very little we could do about it yeah i know i i know thousands of geologists i was president of the eastern section of one of the large groups that covers 15 states so i know lots and i can list on one hand those that believe that man's is the primary driver of temperatures so i mean geologists in particular are our skeptics of man-made driven warming 
Well, Gregory Wright Stone's new book is Inconvenient Facts. It's a direct counterpoint to uh, Al Gore's claims in uh, his two documentaries. You can get it online at inconvenientfacts.xyz. That's inconvenientfacts.xyz. And if you just have to give Jeff Bezos a cut, you can find it on uh, Amazon, both in print and for Kindle. And you can read uh, Gregory Wrightstone's columns at townhall.com, at americanthinker.com, where you can find my articles as well, and on heartline, or, uh, heartland.org. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Greg Wrightstone, that's W-R-I-G-H-T, Stone. Gregory, thank you so much for joining us. I hope, uh, I hope you have uh, great luck with your new book, and I appreciate uh, your work to bring some sanity to this, uh, this, this argument. Thank you very much. And by the way, the app is still available for Android. And you can go and get the app on Android at the Play Store uh, by searching... Inconvenient Facts. Inconvenient Facts. We're going to take you out with a little music. This is Don't Look by Silent Partner. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva paper towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more.